Hello, everybody. It is BIC Podcast, episode 52. And in honor of the season, we changed the corner graphic to the festive one with the festive hat. Very important. On this episode, we're going to talk about super factors flying out of the factories at an alarming rate. But we're also going to talk about the fact that that isn't a new thing. Not even remotely close to a new thing. There's actually been a lot of precedence for this kind of thing. So we will touch on that in our 5% more mature way. We will also talk about some potential hobby resolutions, and I will briefly whine about the Packers, as I do at this time of the year with the way they're playing. That and more on this episode of the BIC Podcast. Ah, yes, the staring eyes of Favre. And what you folks will never see in the unedited copy is that for a brief moment, I was like Eric looking at a chocolate stick. I just froze. I just stared off into the distance, thousand-yard stare, just blank voidness of space. I normally pick on Eric, but I have to say, I think that's the first time I've ever seen Carlos speechless. Oh, I wasn't just speechless. I literally, I, I might have actually had a complete factory reset through that entire moment. Like it was nothing. There's nothing going on. It just flatlined the whole thing. It was actually very impressive. I was like, all right, then moving on. Yes. All right. So this is the last episode before the holidays. Um, I think everybody has uh, gotten into the festive season in their own way. I, I'm more of a Grinch is my, is my style, but I do have the festive hat on the logo. So at least that's something, but uh, I will say that, uh, yeah, this time of year, honestly, uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts, a lot of running around, and the tiredness has definitely hit me. And that right there is uh, is, is part and parcel. And I, I felt it literally in that moment. Uh, it all came all at once. I'm hoping it's, there'll be some sleep at some point this week. But before I move on, uh, first, I'm going to start off with Eric. Obviously, he of the broken back. What's going on this week? Uh, not too much. Um, I did get out of bed for the first time in a, in a week to uh, go to work and uh, had the pleasure of hanging out with... Um, Three great former Bruins uh, yesterday with uh, the Bulldog, um, Stan Jonathan, one of the toughest guys ever to put on skates and play in the NHL. Uh, Charlie Simmer, who um, ended his career in Boston, but was uh, made famous by being on the Triple Crown line with uh, another player that I am uh, friendly with by the name of Marcel Dion. And of course, you have uh, Dave Taylor on that line. And then also, I got a chance to meet for the first time uh dwight foster who played for the bruins in the uh, late 70s early 80s three great guys uh, i'm glad i got out of bed and sucked up a little bit of the pain to spend a few hours with them mm -hmm. sounds fair sounds fair brandon uh any winding up towards the holiday festivities here as we approach this final week uh obviously doing the ebay thing it has been extremely busy uh, I actually had people today buying stuff and leaving, you know, buyer's message. Caught this last minute. Hope it makes it in time. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'll get it in the mail. And I can't do nothing else with that. But no, over the weekend, uh, me and the missus went out and tried to button up a few things, you know, just going out looking. Uh, I will say I found the largest shopping bag I think I have ever seen in the history of shopping bags. Uh, okay. Shout out to Lego. Shout out to Lego. If you spend a lot of money and buy the big, huge sets, they will give you a bag to, to Eric, don't try it. Your back's already bad enough. Uh, to try to lug out of the mall, that was an experience. But uh, now I have a humongous bag if I, if I so need it. Um, 
but yeah, uh, we went out, did that, and just had one of her friends came over with her kids this evening and let them open some presents and watched, uh, speaking of the Grinch, we watched the Grinch and had a little breakfast for dinner and rolling right along, finishing this week out to, to go into the Christmas day. So my kids are older now, so I have to borrow other people's to to have yeah. the kitty side to it. Exactly. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. So the first thing I was going to say is I co-sign on breakfast for dinner. Big fan. Huge fan yeah. of that one. Love breakfast. Uh, anytime, is, anytime is fine for breakfast for me. Anytime is completely fine. So I co-sign on that. Uh, second, uh, one thing that kind of occurred to me as you were uh, as you were telling that story, I kind of a quick uh, in, in the independent poll here, uh, briefly. Uh, we're just right past the midpoint of December. Honestly, it takes absolutely no time for me. I did already lead with the Grinch thing. I hate Christmas music. Can't stand it. And when I have to go to the grocery store or any of them, as soon as I put that in, like, I wish I had headphones. Uh, thoughts and opinions on Christmas music? Just I, I'm going to poll this on Friday. I'm, I'm going to actually ask the people because I want to get other opinions on this. It's like, are you for it? Are you big into it? Are you just accepting of it and willing to tolerate it? Or are you kind of like enough already? I, I only like two Christmas songs. One is uh, Father Christmas by the Kinks, uh, which has, you know, lines like, um, you know, Father Christmas, you know, give me your money, you know, give me all your toys, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, um, very violent anti-Christmas song. I, I really. This, this is the Die Hard is a Christmas movie take of music. Go on. And, yeah. And uh, the other which one. Which it is, here, by the way. Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie. I, I could listen to Little Drummer Boy with David Bowie and Bing Crosby a hundred times in a row and not get bored hmm. so those are the only two brandon thoughts there's a few songs that are okay i'm not into down with like the traditional ones so much um there is a new one i, I don't know if you guys listen to country at all um I, I listen to about anything so that's a little secret of me it depends on what mood i'm in and depending on what music i'll listen to Okay. But um, it it's one of the rare occasions that an artist actually remakes their song and makes it better, but it's also funny. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard the song Fancy Like, where he's talking about like going out, taking his wife out to, I think it's Ruby Tuesday or whatever. Wait, I actually, I actually might know this one because I listen to some music YouTubers that cover a lot of these things. So that sounds familiar to me. I, I actually think okay. I might know the one you're talking about. Well, the artist who did that song mm -hmm. has now remade it into Fancy Like Christmas. And oh, it's actually pretty good and pretty funny. It's one of the occasions where I think the remake might actually be better than the original. So, so he spoofed his own song. So he spoofed his own song. He spoofed his own song. And I actually think it, it might be better than the original. Fair enough. Now, question though. Uh, so do, do you have a cutoff where you kind of lose patience with the traditional Christmas music? I, I, like, I lose it immediately. I worked in retail years ago. So honestly, I, lo I, lo I lose my patience for it super quick. Uh, so I have a wife that is very, 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 very big into Christmas. In fact, mm. uh, she wanted to decorate early and everything. So uh, part of my anniversary gift, because our anniversary is November 18th, Part of my anniversary gift to her was for me not being a Grinch and allowing her to start decorating a little bit early. So I helped her on our anniversary day start decorating and bought her a new Christmas tree and all of that stuff. 
so I have to hear the music, but yeah, it it, it it's time for Christmas to get here. <laughs> <laughs> get it over with. Let's go. I will not tolerate or accept Christmas until December 1st. If you even bring up Christmas with any of the music, the, the Christmas trees, you know, you know, they're everything getting sold in April for God's sakes. I think sometimes uh, they, they, they just keep pushing it back and back and back. Um, I, I just have no interest. I, I don't want, I don't want to see Christmas trees at home Depot in October. It's, you know, it drives me bananas. December 1st, I will accept it. Mm. Um, the this week, thing, this of, thing. The week of, I will participate in it. Mm. Now, this segment of Three Men Speaking Grinch is uh, brought <laughs> to you by AMG Collectibles. Because even though we may not support Christmas music or a lot of the generalities of Christmas, we do support presents. And if you're going to look for presents, one of the places you can look at is amgcollectibles.ca because the card collector in your life may need presents. And I did mention previously, and I, we will have an episode this week. By the way, this week will be the week of the cup. So if you want to mm. stuff the stocking with a very expensive item, it's probably a very bougie stocking. The week of the cup. Sounds like we certainly... just had a version of the cup. Well, you're getting another one. <laughs> this one's the Cole Caulfield version and that rookie class. And 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 I want to clarify and just admit, because I don't want to sit here and pretend to be a hard ass. I actually have, since I've gotten a little bit older and been able to do it now, I've gotten into the Christmas spirit a bit because, like I said, my kids are older. It's been a lot of fun to go out and shop for those, the younger kid toys and stuff to go donate and everything. And I think that has gave me a little bit of this Christmas joy. And I've even told her it, the last year we went to go out shopping and it sucked because everything in the stores was higher priced than you could just buy it for online. And I didn't understand it. It pissed me off. And so this year I told her, I was like, look, I want to go. Now, I am not a person that enjoys traffic. I don't enjoy crowded stores or any of that. But it just. It feels different if you're just sitting on the damn computer ordering everything. It might be easier, but it takes away the purpose of Christmas in general. If you're just going to order stuff, then why even have a holiday? Just order the shit and send it to people or give it to them, you know? So I have enforced a rule that if we are able to, I want to go out and at least do some of the shopping to at least make it feel like a holiday. I can't sit here and be a complete hard-ass Grinch on it. And that's where Bobbles' heart grew three sizes. Yeah. And advocate of the of the heart growing three sizes, amgcollectibles.ca and the AMG Collectibles YouTube channel. Where, like I said, this week, we will be talking the cup. So if you guys do check out the YouTube channel, we will do a preview of the cup, the new one that came out, which is still not quite up to present day, even though last week we had artifacts, which was present day. We're all as confused as you are. Yes, we, we we went to the present, and now we're going back to the past, and then we will return to the present eventually. No Connor Bedard on this one. Just to be clear, no Connor Bedard on this one. <laughs> Last week, Connor Bedard. <laughs> this one, not Connor Bedard. I know it's confusing. I understand. We'll explain more on the AMG Collectibles podcast if you check it out. Thank you to AMG for supporting the podcast and the channel. 
That segue worked out rather beautifully. Like That's Johnston, awesome for I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the rookie class. I'm just saying, though, there, look, Brandon, I guarantee you there's going to be somebody who's going to be like, wait a minute, why can't I pull Connor Bedard in this? Guaranteed. There's, so you have to like lead oh. with there is no Connor Bedard in this one. This is 21 22. I understand it's confusing. Please don't ask us. I'll protect this. If you get a moment or if you've already done so, though, uh, you said you're going to be doing a review on it. Have you yes. checked out the checklist? Because I am now curious mm-hmm. because Jason Robertson did not have a shield in his rookie released cup. I wonder if they did that as an update. I can take a look at that for product. you. That's no problem. While, while we're chatting on other matters, I can take a quick peek at it for you. But yeah, there's definitely, it's like I said, it's going to create this confusion because Upper Deck is still at a part of the cycle or we're doing the back and forth thing. Like I, I'm being serious. Last week, was the brand new artifacts the brand new artifacts which has connor bedard cards in it not not a blackhawks gear yet it's still team canada for this one but they're the first non um easter egg chase of connor bedard they're actual cards that are in the checklist you can see them and you know exactly what you're chasing so this is like a step forward first you had the easter egg now you're getting one that's definitely on the checklist. You can see it. You know exactly what you're looking for, including the redemption. And there's another one that's kind of a nice one with a patch and stuff. So the point is people now know what they're chasing with that one. Probably the next product is going to have, we'll see what the next product is. We'll, we'll try to figure out which is going to be the first product with an actual Connor Bedard base card, like a real one. Um, and then obviously we'll eventually get to series two in the new year. So we'll be going forward in that. But like I said, uh, the upper deck calendar still kind of pushes us forward and backward in time. So we we had we were getting caught up, and then now we have to move forward because future SP Authentic was not current year. We were back. Then we went forward with artifacts, and now we're moving back again with the cup. So I guarantee if somebody's not up on their stuff and they're not paying attention to the year on the top of the marquee, it's super confusing. And even for folks who are following it, it's still super confusing. So that tells you a lot about kind of where we're sitting on the calendar right now with Upper Deck. And hopefully they can get caught up because – this whole two years back and forth, back and forth is really silly. It's not good for anybody. So real quick, before we move on to the, uh, what was going to be probably the main topic with the whole super fractal thing, uh, I'll quickly complain about the Packers. They're screwing me over, screwing me over so bad. It's terrible. Uh, and, and I'm not surprised, but I think the, the sequencing is the part that has surprised me because again, they were dead to rights like five weeks ago. They were basically supposed to be playing for a draft pick. Then they have the audacity to beat decent teams. And then it's like, hey, let's lose. It's like, let's lose to Danny DeVito. That guy. And then the, yeah, like out, out of the three games, if we're talking about the three game stretch, because I've, I've gone through them week by week as we've done this. The Giants one was one of the more winnable ones. Out of the three game stretch, you had the Giants and you had Carolina and Tampa Bay in the middle. On paper, Tampa Bay should be the one that gives you the most fight. So losing to Tampa Bay, not really a surprise. Having Baker Mayfield have a perfect passer rating, somewhat of a surprise. But then at that point, literally the defense was in fact Swiss cheese. They went with the branding. They went really hard on the branding, the Swiss cheese thing. But uh, nonetheless, the one in the middle is the one that you figured you were going to get the most resistance. And now you're playing Carolina and who knows? You're supposed <laughs> to win that one, but you've already made the, you've already made a hash of this thing. Out of the three weeks, the, the ones that you, the first one that you probably should have won, you didn't. The second one where it could have gone either way, you lost. And now you're playing the third one where hopefully you win question mark. I don't even know, man. <laughs> like I have no idea. And then after that, it's going to be down to uh, the Vikings and the bears. 
finished with dub bears. And that's how you finish off the season. It's like their their playoff fate was in their hands, and it still technically is, I think, mathematically, but barely. They basically cannot afford another misstep. And I'm like, yep, this is going to be annoying. And I hate the middle ground, Brandon. The middle ground is the part I don't like. If you're going to suck, then just suck and get a better draft pick. If you're going to try for the playoffs, then try for the playoffs, but you can't be losing to Danny DeVito. Let me tell you, anytime in any sport when fans and commentators start talking about uh, mathematical probabilities and that this has to happen and that has to happen and this team has to lose and your team has to win out and this has to lose by five games and this one has to gain by 20 points, it's over. Okay? It's over. It's done. When as soon as I hear people start talking, well, mathematically, no, you're done. It I, I mean I, that is just fans, that is that is fans' way of holding on to, to a dream. And it is sportscasters uh you know way of trying to keep interest uh, of the team, you know, so people will come to the games and watch it on TV and all that when the reality is it's over. It's night, night time. Eric is 100% right because, I mean, mathematically, the Boston Bruins should have been the Stanley Cup champions last year, and it was over. <laughs> but mathematically, they should have gotten past one round. They should have gotten past one round at the bare minimum. Sorry, like, Eric. We're, we're just being honest. One round. Also, also, I'm deeply disturbed that you actually uttered the words Eric is 100% right. I don't think that's ever happened. It, 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 it it worked in that, you know, so that have, sequence, yeah, but it was like ninety eight point seven percent, right? Like a hundred percent. Like I'm deeply concerned about that. That's deeply disturbing. What is your thoughts? Just throwing this out there, since we we tied this in the topic. Sure. Do you think the NFL should adopt the lottery system for the draft? Because it, it's a scenario where. I mean, in your case with the Packers, like they were good enough to win some games that maybe they shouldn't have, but it gave mm-hmm. them hope to where they needed to, you know, they they had the chance to continue trying because they had already screwed it up. Like it, yeah. in the NFL, it's almost like if you get to two wins, you've pretty much screwed up the first pick. And I feel like some teams get that that mindset of we have to lose instead of playing to win and maybe if there was that lottery system um it would try to up the competitive nature of even the bottom dwelling teams question mark well i think i'd agree i'd agree with you from the perspective that it eliminates the most blatant um tanking it eliminates the most blatant like, obviously, there are some teams that are still going to try to give themselves a higher probability or whatever the case may be. But if you break it up by a percentage basis, so, yeah, you could be the worst team in the league and you'll have the best chance to get the number one draft, but I'm not going to guarantee it. So it means right. you could have tanked for nothing. You could have you could have still been stuck with the number two or the number three pick and you went and killed yourself in the number one. Uh, it incentivizes at least giving a, a reasonable effort, not intentionally like benching your entire starting lineup. Just to try to squeeze out a couple more losses and competitively for the fan that's paying a ticket, you're not really giving them a viable product. And there's been plenty of games. Look, there was a three, nothing game. There have been some games where we could debate. There is not a viable product right now. (laughs) Can we talk about that? Because we can't that screw like 
I used Minnesota's defense in my fantasy league for that Raiders-Minnesota matchup. And they scored me 20 points. I had the Chargers defense on my bench that week. I looked at the Chargers' upcoming schedule, and I was like, oh, this works out perfect. Week First week of the playoffs in fantasy football, bam, I have the Chargers playing, guess who? The Raiders. And they let the Raiders score 63 freaking points. How does a team go from no points in a 3-0 game against freaking Minnesota to 63 against a team like the Chargers who have had a decent, they're not a powerhouse, but a decent defense all season, and Aiden O'Connell comes in at quarterback and throws up 63 points against the Chargers. The, the Raiders defense scored, I think, 25 in fantasy. I And they had the worst, like, com- comparatively, they had the worst matchup, like, uh, strength. But if you compared the two, I got negative three points using the Chargers against the team that should have been a lock for 10 to 15, 20 points. That, that was the at most ass-backwards matchup I think I've ever seen the outcome of. Sorry, go ahead. I'm off my soapbox. So that now. so that, that was this that was the segment <laughs> of fantasy football ruins Pablo's life. <laughs> Hashtag well, my team sucked to begin with. I shouldn't have even been in the playoffs, but I squeaked in and I had hope and yeah. Never well speaking of hope, a lot <laughs> here's the segue for you. Speaking of hope, 2020, 2021 black foil variation, rookie shield auto, card number 118, Jason Robertson. One of one. I freaking knew it. <laughs> Let the games begin, Eric. (laughs) Jason Robertson bumping is about to take on a new level. We're going to hit the next tier. We're we're going to the moon. Somebody better start start selling some more kilts and uh, enema dolls. You're going to need. That's right. You better be. You better be full-fledged, shameless kilt baron. Yeah. There better be no restraint on your part. You need to get on this. I, I had a feeling it was going to be there. That's why I asked because that was the only card he didn't have in in the 2020 Cup, and I was like, "Well, I wonder if they do it as the update." Yep, I got it right. Game here. on. 2021, 22, the Cup Hockey Update Checklist, the Cup Update Autograph Set Checklist. There's 274 cards in the update. I will talk more about this whole thing in the breakdown on the AMG show. If you check out the AMG channel, you'll see you'll hear more about this. But just to be clear. This whole thing with the updates, uh, here's the hot take for you. This has got to stop because this mm-hmm. is basically like a cheap filler move for them to try to squeeze in value by being like, we could have released this the year that it should have come out in the first place. We're going to hold back. It's going to be an update. It's like, wait, why can't you do a set in 21-22? Why can't you come up with something for 21-22 that's in 21-22? We're already a year behind, but at least give me the stuff from current year. There's a whole stack here of black foil autos from a bunch of players. There's a black yeah. foil auto of Miro Heiskanen, also a one of one. Like there's a bunch here. Uh, Patrick Kane, one of one. It's it's not only rookies, it's veterans too. Like there, there's a bunch, there's a whole stack. The rookie shield auto, plates auto patches, all kinds of stuff. We even have auto patches of um, of some of the veterans included in here. John, John LeClaire. We've got dual autograph patches of John. Why we needed to wait until update to get John LeClaire. But I guess we did. Uh, and that's no slight on John LeClaire. John LeClaire yeah. was a great player. 
Absolutely. But it, it's but it's one of those things where you kind of sit back on it. It's like, what, what if I actually wanted that the year that it would have come out otherwise? What what if I actually wanted it in the set in the first place? It's you know, it's kind of it's a little hurtful. Not gonna lie, it's a little bit hurtful. But anyway, that's just me. You know, it's no it's no rally towel uh, relic, but you know, it's still hurtful. It's still hurtful, nonetheless. Moving on. Uh, Game one. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the super factor thing. Speaking of one of ones, so we'll segue off of the one this one of one as Bobbles tries to figure out how many kills he's going to have to sell to get his hands on this one. We're going to shift over to, to what somebody else was doing to try to make a little bit of extra money, as in five finger discount absconding. We'd, we'd say allegedly, but basically most of the evidence pretty much points in that direction uh, at this stage. Uh, really, the story came to, and by the way, I will include a link to the Sports Collector's Daily article, briefly outlining this as well, just so that everybody has it if they want to quickly, briefly read the article. They do a good job, so I, I do recommend if you do check it out. Obviously, on X and a lot of other social medias, people have been talking about this already, but I like using these because at least they bring a lot of the pieces together, so it's a nice way of summarizing things if you're if you're curious and haven't looked into it too much. So basically, a, a seller on eBay had a variety of one-of-one superfractors, and people were able to identify very quickly that there were multiple copies. Now, we've already had this controversy recently with the issue of multiple one-of-ones. Opera Deck has had one of those, and then obviously Fanatics has had one of those, and they even had a buyback program in the whole thing. So there's obviously been, there's a lot of scrutiny. A lot of eyeballs are looking at Fanatics and a lot of these companies. And question, I will also add that the same seller, once they started being found out and people looked into it, there's also some Panini cards that are very low numbered that have wound up in it. One distinction I'll make, though, is on these super factors. And again, in the article, it'll talk a little bit more about it and show you some examples so you can see pictures and things. Uh, but I want to briefly touch on this. Uh, one of the differentiators is that the one of one serial number for the duplicates, let's call them, but really backdoored copied versions of it. The one of one serial number stamped on the back rather than on the front where it's typically found. So that's an important distinction between the two versions of it. But one of the points we were making before we started recording was that, unfortunately, this is not new. And it's also not even isolated to this current you know, regime of fanatics, the Fanatics Overlord, hallowed be thy name. But it's not even limited to these guys. In the, as a matter of fact, it's happened a multitude of times in the past. And I'm, I'm going to use some examples. But before I do, before I do, I just wanted to set the groundwork. It's the current controversy of extra one-of-ones and how do they get them. It looks by all indications that they were backdoor stolen out of the back. Investigations ongoing. Fanatics has acknowledged it and said they're investigating. So obviously that's in progress. But it does put another black eye on kind of their controls and security. And it brings into question, you know, um, what kind of changes are they going to need to make to make sure that stuff doesn't get walked out the door this way? It's, it's not what you expect to happen, but we'll also offer some context that it's not the first time. So, Brandon or Eric, which one of you wants to kind of take a first crack at this one? Well, I'll, I'll go ahead real quick, Eric, um, or try to be quick anyway. I, I do get long-winded. I'm sorry. Um, my biggest thing on this, and, and as you mentioned, and we'll go into it a little bit further, I'm sure, but it isn't the first time. It's not even the first year. You know, this isn't anything new, but... I think the biggest glaring concern with this, what if this person, and I don't know if the eBay account was the, the person doing the theft or if they were just who wound up with them, you know, you don't know the full details of, of everything that happened yet, but what if those had not wound up on eBay 
Or what if they hadn't wound up in such a substantial number at once to throw a red flag? Mm-hmm. I don't think people would have caught it. And now they're taken down. I believe only one of the Bowman Supers have been sold, and it has to go through authenticity guarantee. This isn't, the problem isn't resolved. Now that we know what happened, the problem is actually far from being resolved because there's still ways that they can end up in the open market. Now, yeah, sure, it's put out there. The serial number is on the front on this one and on the back on this one. Mm-hmm. An issue that lies there is why in the hell doesn't Tops do it the same way every time to begin with? But you're going to have people that if they come across this, they're not going to be aware of this news. They're not tuned into the YouTube or Sports Collector Daily or anything else. And they may think that it's the true one-of-one superfractor. And turns out it's the backdoor one. You know, so there's still a lot of moving pieces with this. Just because we now know the story, what is going to be the resolution? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Eric, any initial high-level thoughts on that, just to start off? Yeah, um, I, I'm not one to you know, do the whole, the sky is falling and, and you know, and, and we need to be in panic mode. But if this continues, I honestly believe this is, this situation, this problem, this, uh, is this continued um, forgery, this is going to be a hobby killer and a card company killer because if this continues to happen with the amount of money that these cards cost and how many how much money you know i, I know we're not at pandemic uh prices but we're still higher than before pre-pandemic lots and lots of money people are still investing and in buying many many boxes buying things on ebay buying things on other platforms a lot of money's going into this. And if the story continues to be that these cards are fraudulent, people are going to say, screw it. I'm done with this. I can't trust this company. I can't trust this hobby. I can't trust these platforms. I'm not spending this kind of money anymore. And I honestly think that if these card companies do not do a better job with their security, they are going to they're going to lose their their uh patrons and kill the hobby okay let me touch on something here i'll take whatever i'll pick up what eric's putting down here and i'll throw this one at you brandon so let's let's pose the first question as we do i'll actually share a couple of things from instagram everything that i'm going to share here i will include a link in the description too I'll include a link to the Sports Collectors Daily article, but we're also going to include a link to these social media posts as we reference them. So if you're hearing the audio version, you can click on the link and see exactly what we're showing so that we're all on the same page. So the first one I'm actually going to show is from Nat Turner's Instagram account. And this is from about an hour ago, give or take. So it's not long uh, before we started recording here. And this specifically is him showcasing a display piece at the PSA card office in New Jersey. And the display piece is a a sheet, an uncut sheet of green PMGs. The reason I bring this up is because in the past, historically, uh, uncut sheets has been one avenue in which backdoored copies have basically made their way out. Now, sometimes the uncut sheet is legitimate. 
like maybe they were given to somebody, an employee or something, or there, there have been a few scenarios where that's happened. It tends not to be the most expensive ones, inserts and things like that necessarily, but it doesn't mean there isn't because you can definitely over the past, there have been auctions where you've been able to buy inserts of some of the big inserts, uh, some of the big parallels. Uh, so for example, like uh, essential credentials, I've seen uncut sheets of those. I've seen uncut sheets of PMGs, for example, like this one here. This is an example of that. I've seen uncut sheets of refractors. I've seen uncut sheets of all kinds of stuff, you know, inserts, parallels, and ones that are held in high esteem. Go ahead, Brandon. You wanted to say something there. I was just going to say when you said something about the credentials, this likely, because uh, I can't tell for sure by that photo, but that looks like a 90 set, and that likely would have came from the FLIR buyout that a lot of this other stuff has wound up from as well. Yeah, I think this is one of the, I want to say it's maybe 97 or 98 uh, yeah. green PMGs, one of those ones, late 90s, late 90s for sure. Uh, but yep. to your point though, there were a lot, and this is key, we, we want to give, so we want to say two things. So let's start off with this. Uh, Eric is 98.7% correct, because I refuse to say 100, just on principle I refuse. However, 98.7% <laughs> is still pretty good. So I will say 98.7% correct in the sense that it's not good. It's a very bad thing. It undermines confidence in the manufacturer. It undermines confidence in the industry. It undermines confidence in the authenticators. It undermines confidence in a lot of these different, if not enough people catch this, because you worry about, can some of this get through? And one of the key indicators, so I use the uncut sheet as an example. So just as a display piece, it's a really cool display piece. There's nothing wrong with having an uncut sheet. Some of that stuff is really nice looking. It framed like that, the way that that image is, it looks great. You go to the PSA office in New Jersey and you see that thing. Hey, that's pretty cool. And maybe you see some of the players you recognize. Hey, that's that's a pretty neat thing. As a display piece, it's fantastic. But a nefarious person could very easily cut that. And if they manage to make something that looks enough like the foiling on the back, you could fool some people. And even if you don't, even if you don't put in the serial numbering, people have sold those. I've seen them bought. And by the way, some of them have been graded with no serial number on back. So there's been some murkiness. Uh, Eric's favorite Beckett has done that in the past with some of these PMGs where they're not numbered, but they're very clearly not numbered, but they're being represented as such. They're literally listed. ComC has sold some of these. Another example is Flare Showcase, uh, the Flare Showcase legacy collections and things of that sort. Uh, the rubies, uh, red rubies and star rubies, those kind of things. We've seen a whole variety. And I, I mentioned the essential credentials. That's an example of one as well. Think of some iconic 90s inserts and parallels and things like that. There's a good chance if it's in that late 90s period, there was a lot of them that were floating around. However, that wasn't the end. The, the, and it's not the beginning. It's not the end. Obviously, going back, we, we talked some examples. But going back to the 80s, uncut sheets have existed. People can make cards out of those too. And obviously, those days, we don't have serial numbering. So that's one less thing you need to worry about. You literally just need to figure out a way to cut it in a way that, that you know that passes. But moving forward in time, so we talked in the 90s. I want to give credit here to another Instagram post. This one's uh, Brandon's one of his uh, close friends, Refractor Jones. And we'll give him credit here as well. And we'll make sure I link this to you in the description so you can check it out. But this one's pertinent to this story specifically because I want to show you this. And this one from his Instagram account is a stack, a table full of 2007 to 2010 Bowman Chrome backdoor superfactors. It's, he's labeled it as such. He literally put in the caption. Mm -hmm. He flat out tells you these are backdoor super fast. But if you get a chance to watch the YouTube version of it, you're seeing a stack of them. We want to talk about the one of ones. That's exact. We're talking about one of one super factors here. This is from 2007, 2010 Bowman's Chrome. 
This is in the pre-Fanatics days. So pre-Fanatics overlords. This is when Tops was operating as Tops. Backdoor copies were getting out the door back then by the table full. If you look at this image, you're seeing a table full of these chrome of these one of one superfractors from these various years sitting on a table for your perusal. Brandon, you want to add any specific thing to this? Because this kind of is, well, is the smoking gun here when we're talking about the superfractors thing. He actually, you know, in the description, if you go to the post, you can see it's there from February of 2022. Uh, he actually says, you know, there's a long story to these that he's showing and other 1,000 plus superfractors that are in his horde. Now, when he calls it a horde, he is not joking. The man is... He has a collection that you would not believe. Uh, he doesn't, he, he shares like a refractor of the day, but he has thousands and thousands. I witnessed it at the National. He literally would come back from the show each day with boxes upon boxes upon boxes of nothing but refractors. He has been in this hobby a long time. He knows a lot of people in this hobby. And he used to obtain these in various different ways. The purpose of sharing this and this post right here proving of what's going on today is this has been an issue for a long time. This isn't just a, oh my God, fanatic screwed up or, oh my God, there's somebody shady. They stole it. It's been an issue. Like stuff... When there's monetary value attached and low quality security and, you know, a company out there probably paying low wages on guys running printing presses with no security involved, they're essentially printing money, but they're not at the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has security where you're not walking out with stacks of hundreds. This printing companies that are doing these cards likely don't have that, and these people realize if I just slip and they probably could do a few a day and it would be, you know, very unsuspicious. One thing I was thinking when you were showing the green PMG sheet, you know, mm -hmm. we kind of had this discussion and refractor filled me in that when they do these printings, they print several sheets of the cards. You know, you got to account for replacements or damages or, you know, they test different qualities, all of that stuff. But the ones that aren't going to be used, why don't they, I don't want to say put hole punches through them or something like a big void like they used to do on checks or, you know, but do something that even if they do wind up out in the open, it's going to be noticed that, you know, okay, cool, display it. But it's not going to harm anyone monetarily thinking or getting duped that it's a real card because, you know, it's cool to own, but it's not going to have the value to it. Um, have a vault for your, your sheet that you choose to be the replacements. Have the ones that you choose that are going to go in packs. And everything else should be stamped, punched, something voided. To where even if they do make it out in the open, they're noticeable. Yeah, effectively a cancellation mark. Uh, you know, uh, right? Like I said, we we've seen that with redemptions. Uh, the old pin pinnacle redemptions. Uh, you, if you redeem them, they would actually hole punch them sometimes. Yeah. Uh, that was one indicator, one mark. Uh, that way you could still have the card 
technically in your possession, but it had been canceled. That's effectively what they did with that whole punch. Very, very unscientific, but it got the job done. It made it very clear what it was, and it couldn't be reused uh, by accident because it had been already marked appropriately. But I think that's fair. Uh, now, one of the key pieces I think that we got to talk about here, you know, for this one, we, we got we to refer to the, the repository of memes because we all love our memes. All right. We brought in the Spider-Man pointing meme. It is the perfect <laughs> opportunity to bring up to bring it up because I guess the question, let's move the conversation to this piece. Who really bears the ultimate responsibility here? Because there's multiple actors here that have that have a stake or stakeholders, let's put it that way. So you've got the manufacturer. They're the ones that have the lax security in this case, because based on what we talked about, you know, uh, in Refractor and the example he used, the way he phrased it is that, you know, he showed that as an example. He said, you know, over the years, some of, you know, some of these grew legs and walked away. Well, effectively, that's what it seems has, has occurred again here. This isn't a case of accidentally more getting put into packs. This is a case of some finding their way out the door, possibly in a box, in a bag, somewhere, in some capacity, and making it out of the market. In truth, to your point from earlier, basically what you were alluding to, the seller's stupidity was being greedy and listing everything at once and making it so damn obvious to somebody looking at a stack of them and going like, wait a minute, <laughs> something's mm -hmm. wrong. Uh, right after maybe release. If they had, <laughs> yeah, and maybe if they had doled it out or moved it in small card shows or something like in small transactions here and there, they might have been able to get rid of it. But in this case, they kind of outed themselves as being suspicious immediately, and it brought suspicious upon them. So we got the Spider-Man pointing meme. Here's the question. We have the manufacturers who had lax security, obviously didn't have controls in place to prevent this. And again, we use the historic example from Refractor. This has been a problem for a long time. And the whole thing with Panini, the example that the seller also has Panini cards, well, we talked about this. The manufacturers today use a very small subset of printers. So it's not like, so yeah, there's no reason why there couldn't be Leaf cards or Panini cards or, you know, Fanatics or Topps cards. You know, they could all be stolen out of the exact same factory because more than likely they're being printed in the same handful of facilities. We could get some Upper Deck ones as well. And we had duplicate Upper Deck one of one. So like these things do happen. They have happened. But who bears the ultimate responsibility? You've got the manufacturer. We've, we're also going to have the authenticators. We're hoping they can catch these things. But can they? That's kind of a question. We also have our authorities, you know, hobby authorities. Can they get the information to us to let us know what to look for? When we look at the old FLIR showcases, there are certain indicators, certain telltale signs. They're not perfect, but you have to kind of scrounge around. I'll be honest with you. Unless you know somebody who really does know it very well, you kind of have to scrounge around, go find old blowout forum posts where they kind of were discussing it and somebody mentioned, oh yeah, just look for the foil on the back and make sure that's there. And you're kind of cobbling the pieces together. So let me start off with you, Eric. Uh, any thoughts on who should bear the ultimate responsibility in making sure this isn't a thing that keeps happening going forward? Yeah, I think it's I think it is the the card company's responsibility to make sure they're doing business with a reputable printer, making sure that there's security in place, because this is their entire business, right? Upper deck, tops, fanatics, you know, patini. This is their business. These printing uh, factories are screwing around with their business and they're damaging their business. Therefore, it is up to them to say, hey, um, more needs to be done. Or, you know, we, we'll have to look somewhere else. We'll have to make our own, you know, whatever the situation is. 
the, the card companies, the manufacturers have to stand up to the printing people and say, you, you, you're killing our business here. Uh, our customers aren't trusting us. It's one issue after another through all of the different card companies. And whether it's all coming out of one factory or, or whatever, there needs to be more security and more attention paid to um, what's happening to these low numbered cards. It isn't like, you know, you made one, it isn't like it's the nineties and, you know, one card got 80 million copies done and some guy grabbed a base card of Wayne Gretzky, you know, and brought it home to his kid. Who cares? We're talking about high priced cards that, that are high priced because it is being told to the, to the customer, there's only a scarce quality amount. There's only a hundred, there's only 10, there's only one. And people are saying, because of that, that, that scarce quality, I am willing to pay more money. Then you find out that, nah, there's not really 10, there's 20, because they didn't destroy the first set and it got taken out the back door. So there's really 20. Well, now your card's worth less and you just lost all that money. You know, I know these companies are saying, hey, we're sorry about this and we'll buy the card from you at, you know, at book price and try to make it right and give you some other goodies. But this is happening all the time. So in my opinion, it is completely up to the card companies to buckle down with their printing um, partners and demand um, better security and, and work with them on a plan like you guys were just talking about of how are we going to differentiate test versus actual? You know, you know, once that card comes out for test and the big wigs look at it and say, okay, here's the 10 cards that we that we made for test. What do you think? All right, these are great. Cut them in half. Now go print the other 10. You know, something they have to start demanding this. Until then, you you continue to blame the card companies. Now, let me uh, let me pose this one to you, Brandon, and you can expand on what Eric said. But let me let me touch on this from an angle. We know the Fanatics has now an ownership stake. Well, the, the the rumor, which is very strongly corroborated, is that they have a stake in one of the printers. So one of the one of the suppliers they're using, they have they have a lot more control than a lot of these manufacturers have had in the olden days. So, in other words, really, uh, is this a situation where maybe the Fanatics overlords have to kind of um, pull a little bit more rein? The, the fact that they have more of a stake in there be like, you know what, maybe we just have to install our own person in there and be like, your job is to make sure these figure out where the problem is here. If you have to, if you have to send some people packing out the door, you go, maybe we have to do more stringent security checks. Maybe we got to check you all in and out of the door and make sure you're not taking anything you're not supposed to be taking, but basically come in, figure out, who is supposed to be here, who's not supposed to be here, and basically tighten the security, especially on what are potentially more valuable items. The the full-fledged manufacturing side of it, you know, if you're going to print flagship tops base cards, we're not super worried. <laughs> if someone wants to, you know, we still should have security. But realistically, if somebody wants to go swipe a couple of, you know, base, uh, base trout cards, probably not the end of the world, relatively speaking. But the one of ones and some of the bigger higher end ones, the ones that theoretically are the big chases and big pulls should be under a more scrutiny. 
maybe they're in a restricted area where we control who can come in or out and who actually has access to that particular printing press that's doing that. Because with the whole super factor thing, we're applying a little more technology. It's not the same piece of cardboard as the other one. We're actually doing a little extra work to it. So if there's a separate printing press for that, maybe that one should be in a more secured area where, hey, restricted access only. You should be here. You better have a reason for being here. And that's one of your controls. That way you make sure that whatever comes out of there, we know exactly who was in there today. It was Troy, it was Bob, it was Brandon, it was Eric. Only those four people came in and out of that room. Now we know who to be talking to if something goes wrong. What do you think? So I actually worked in manufacturing for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Not in printing, but same thing. You know, you're, you're producing a product for an end, you know, uh, your next customer or whatever. Eric is right that on the end consumer, we are to blame the card manufacturer. The way we were taught was the next person in line that gets the product you're producing is your next customer. So the next customer who is the end user is us, the collectors. We have to look back on where did this card come from? We don't know which printing facility it came from. So we can't say, oh, you know, the Dallas Fort Worth plant four that's where this stuff's coming out of. So he's he's right. It it falls back on them. The issue I think that you're coming to there is how do they fix it? Because unless they do like you're saying and wind up facilitating everything that happens in that that printing facility or owning that printing facility, I don't think they're going to be able to correct it or control it. And if they do wind up owning it, then guess what happens? These products are going to go up because I guarantee you it's cheaper for them to subcontract and sublease this, this job to these printing companies to do the work for them so they don't have to worry about it. And then they get the product. And we're already talking about how high wax and everything is. Mm -hmm. So if they have to do that, then guess what happens? All of those costs are coming right back and hitting us in the wallet again. The other thing that is very, very, very concerning, we see this individual. Now, I am not pointing fingers to say they are the ones stealing it because, again, we don't know the facts on that end of it. But they have Panini cards. So that leads us basically to say, yes, they were from the facility. But the Panini cards weren't one-on-ones. The green emeralds are actually to five. So how much stuff were they getting out of there? Did they get five copies of all of those cards? Did they get a full run of five? Or did only four of those cards make it into packs? Are those cards that were serial numbered out of five, all five put into the packs? Or did, you know, did they swipe a, a, a run of them? These are things we don't know. Is there only 45 of the 50 golds that got put into Bowman? You know, there's a lot of questions that comes out of this. It, and it goes further than just talking about, well, they got backdoored. There is some, some thievery going on now 
to the extent that this is from the printing facility. I think in this situation of like the ones we shared with Refractor, now that shares an example that this isn't the first time things like this have happened. But I, if I had to guess, those were backdoored from Tops and not from the printing facility. When you get that angle of it, there's a lot of shit that could be going on. We don't know what is what is coming out of that. Hell, they could print extras. And there, you got another, you know, another copy. And again, we can't even call them fake because they were printed on the legitimate press using the legitimate plates and everything else, the, the materials, all of that. They're, they're technically legit cards, but they're duplicates. So, you know, rewinding back to the duplicate superfractors that Tops admitted to, it shows not just the the lack of security and everything, but the lack of control that these that the printers have. Like they need to crack down or figure out what the hell they're going to do. That's a main integral part of this whole operation, and it's got a lot of question marks right now. And the quality already sucks. The card quality sucks, but now we got issues of how much shit is getting out there that's not supposed to be. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, something has to be done in the contracts. <clears throat> um, that obviously, you know, this is becoming a, a bigger and bigger problem. Like I said earlier, that these, you know, cards and the products are more and more expensive. Um, the hobby obviously is just coming off the biggest, the biggest boom in history. Uh, it's very, it's a very popular hobby. It, the contracts have to state if things are getting backdoored, if our products are being stolen. If you are negatively impacting our company's, um, you know, uh, reputation and finances, you know, we're going to um, deduct this much from your wallet. You know, you know, we pay you X amount of million a year. We're going to start deducting that. Plus, you got to have other legalities. You got to sue. You got to sue the. The, the printing places if you have to you have to make sure you press charges that you get the police involved this is theft and if and if it's easily proven that because you've got comps everyone's got comps right on the phone you can show a cop you can show a judge just with your phone that that card that came out was worth um ten thousand dollars that's a ten thousand he just stole ten thousand dollars and walked out the back door with it in his lunchbox that's a felony doesn't matter if someone thinks cards are stupid or silly or for children. That is a $10,000 item you just walked out the back door with. People go to now, jail. Real quick, I don't, want to, I don't want to interrupt your chain of thought because I get what you're saying. I'm also thinking, though, in the back of my mind, based on the scenario you presented, I would immediately suspect the man with a lunchbox. It's like, does he have a thermo in it? It's like... Is it a threes company lunchbox? Like, what kind of lunchbox are we talking about? You have to understand, I'm a Johnny Cash fan, and one of my favorite mm. songs is "One Piece at a Time." Mm. When he takes mm. one part a day out in his big from auto, one part an auto part, he worked at an auto part factory. And he took one part that out. That happens every single day, yeah. and then after years and years and years, he was able to build his own car. Mm. So now let me ask a question though. Uh, so in all seriousness, so I just thought I would mention that since you mentioned the lunchbox, I was like, I was having visions to like grade yeah. school. It's like the lunchbox. And I'll but, but, go ahead. 
Yeah, but let, moving forward, though, if we're moving forward, though, in all seriousness, that, that is another angle you could take. I, I'm wondering, though, but here, here's kind of my question. So I, I'll pose this to both of you. We, we, we're in agreement that something has to be done, uh, even though we, at the same time, we can look at history and say this is not the first time it's happened. We're also not downplaying it because it undermines the belief. It undermines, you know, the credibility. And it, undermining credibility is not a good thing, especially if you're try, out there trying to build your business and trying to do all these other things. You know, I, I think I showed, I might've sent the guys a link to it, uh, but, you know, the Fanatics is investing in this Tom Brady commercial. You know, the what if Tom Brady had been an exposed catcher? And I got a chance to watch the commercial. It's very slick. It's actually a pretty fancy commercial. Um, creative. Creative. I'll give them credit. They actually went and, you know, they even got Tom Brady to do a little acting chops in there. I got some questions. Tom, keep your day job. But the point is that, uh, but the point is they tried. They, they tried to make something interesting out of it to link it to the cards and try to do that. Okay. I get it. I appreciate it. So if you're investing in that kind of thing, then clearly you need to do something to make sure this doesn't present a greater, in the long run, the hobby forgets things. We know that, but it still hurts whenever you take it, you know, a chink out of their armor of the credibility. Regardless, it still hurts in the long run. It's still damaging. So the question is, do you take Eric's approach and make the penalties in the contract? Do you do the legal type of penalties as an incentive for them to fix their own controls? Or given, like I said, that there is the knowledge that Fanatics does have a little bit of an ownership stake in it, you could pull rank and say like, okay, I'm going to install a few of my own people to add to what you've already got to make sure even if I have to hire my own personal security to be in the facility and keep an eye on things, they'll stay out of your way, except they're going to be looking around for anybody walking around with a threes company lunchbox. If I see that on the floor, I'm going to have some suspicions. I'm going to have some questions. So which approach do you take though? One is a more hands-on approach where you take it upon yourself to hire your own people to add those additional controls and security, or do you put it in the contract? Well, in the fanatics case, you have the ability to do, to do both. Um, where it, another company that doesn't have a piece of the pie um, can't just walk into the facility. So they're going to have to ha handle it in other legal terms or avoid the contract and go somewhere else. But the same thing's going to happen if, if things are not set up to have the product secured. But if I was Fanatics and I owned a piece of a printing place, I'd have my own security in there just standing over everybody and you're not there to make friends. I don't care if, uh, you know, no one likes you and, and, and doesn't talk to you all day at work. Your job is to go around and suspect that every single person in here is stealing from the company and your job is to stop it. Because again, I, I, I know it sounds like the sky is falling, uh, you know, and it's a huge thing to say, but if customers don't have trust in a product they're buying, they stop buying it. And everything crumbles. The, the hobby will crumble. The card companies will crumble. It's all The over. cookie will crumble. And we like crumble. Mm. That one, The last one we're pretty good with. I just want to throw that in there since you were mentioning it. You know, I mean, this is just one of the many. It's not one of the top reasons, but it's one of the many, many, many reasons I only do vintage. I don't have to worry about, you know, someone backdooring a, a, a one out of five because I don't care. It doesn't affect me. I I like Larry Robinson rookie cards from, from AMG. That's where this came from. That's not a quick plug. AMG Collectibles.ca. <laughs> Larry Robinson rookie card from them. Um that's so no one's no one's 
screwing me over with Larry Robinson rookie cards, but I still care about this hobby. I have friends that that care about, you know, what's going on and, and this affects them and they're spending lots of money on stuff and then finding out they're getting robbed. And that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. That was fair. So Brandon, any other thoughts kind of uh, in general? We, we touched on some examples. We went historical. We brought it back to the present. We, uh, we talked about some general things. Do you, do you have any thought about the approach that you would? So let me, let me put you in charge. You're in charge of the fanatic situation. You do the investigation. You find your satisfaction that it was a situation of someone robbing it and backdooring it, which we're all pretty sure is the case now based on the evidence that's been presented. So you know this is clearly a problem. You got to do something about it. What approach do you want? What's the first thing you're thinking to do here to try to fix this problem? Well, again, coming from the manufacturing side, I think Eric's right. There does need to be, and there should be already something in the contract. Because think of it on the automotive end. If you make a part and it goes on a vehicle and that vehicle winds up getting having to be recalled because the part is defective well ford then has to take the time and the manpower to fix all of those vehicles but the charges go back to the company that actually manufactured the part because and believe me they charge the hell out of them for the labor the repairs all of that i know i worked for cummins building the the diesel engines for the dodge rams there was a uh, cam issue that we had to pay heavily for and send folks out to to repair them so there should be already something in place for these contracts something i think because i i don't know that the company would if you're not in charge of the company i don't know that they would allow you to enforce security in your own rules but one thing that I wonder, and I this again, this is question marks we don't have answers to. I wonder who controls the inventory. Is the printers the ones who orders the the superfractor laminated foils and the card stocks and all of that? Or does Fanatics order that inventory, have it at the printers, the printers just do the printing process? Because that is one step that you could control is kind of shifting around the inventory and who is in control of that. And if excess inventory isn't in play, then that could help with eliminating, you know, excess stuff going out. If you, if you have documented, you know, statuses of two rolls of super fractor foil was used today, you know, yeah, or whatever. You're, ba you're basically talking about a chain of custody. You're talking about right. like for the materials themselves, you have you have documented, you know, Brandon had it, brought it over there, left it and signed off for it. Eric's been guarding it. He took his threes company lunchbox and then the other person took over. And then, you know, exactly. Again, it goes back to, you know, who was nearby, you know, who was involved, you know, who had access. And then How it helps you narrow things you down if there yep. is an issue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because then it, then it has also a traceability to it. Right now, all we know is some guy on eBay wound up with a bunch of cards from two different companies, likely from the printers. And, you know, who the hell knows exactly who it was, how they got them or whatever. These could have changed hands several times already before this dude on eBay said, I'm going to throw all this stuff up. We don't know that part of it. 
but mm -hmm. it has to it has to be controlled within obviously right now the printer facility the printing facility it doesn't solve all of the issues though because you're still going to have the question marks well all right let's say the printing facility gets locked down well then they're going to go to the tops facility or whatever there's going to be replacement cards and stuff like that that likely will never be issued what the hell happens to those because those can easily wind up out in the market as well so there's lots of things that i think the hobby with the amount of money the amount of products all of the there are so many more moving pieces and people involved in the industry now and so much more money being flowed into the industry it is time to to lock it down a little bit more and, and clean the act up a bit you know we can say well it's happened for years but i think it's affecting a little bit more today because of the value i mean that ethan salas wasn't even his first bowman and mm -hmm. it did over a thousand dollars that's not right. a cheap piece of paper you right. know so yeah well kind of eric's point from before regardless however we want to look at it whether you believe it's warranted or not those pieces of cardboard if, if they're misrepresenting the actual real genuine article they are an asset they're treated mm -hmm. as something that holds value so when a person takes those pieces of cardboard otherwise worthless piece of cardboard the fact that they got that treatment put on them the fact that they look like the genuine article suddenly makes them more valuable than the sum of their parts because the materials that walked in were not worth that but right on the other side of it after the processes suddenly they have this additional value so i think that's a valid point no that's a good good conversation so there five percent more mature it can be done let it not be said that it cannot be done <laughs> now probably on here we'll move We'll move to some lighter fare here to finish things up. So first, uh, Eric, do you want to give a little sneak preview? So folks on the YouTube version will get the visual, well, I'll, and I'll relay what it is. So uh, I'm going to talk about one more little light topic here that we'll finish off with. But before we do a little sneak preview to the Friday live stream, uh, you have in your possession the holiest of holies. Do you want to quickly tell the people what you have? This Friday, you will be able to open with me the first box of cards that I've opened since 1994. Um, this is the Bruins 100th uh, year centennial uh, team set um, that I had very little to do with. Um, but I was, uh, I was up a deck did call me and asked me a couple of questions uh, before they made it. And um, this Friday, we are going on a Hal Gill hunt. Mm -hmm. and we're going to be looking for those uh, Hal Gill cards, and hopefully we'll get some Hal Gill um, yellows or golds or um, autograph cards or something good like that. Mm -hmm. Hal Gill. Gil. Yeah, that's what we're doing, you know. Yeah. Very exciting. So that's something to look forward to on the Friday live stream at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It will be the standard start time, but quick programming note, the episode will be shorter than normal because on the YouTube channel this this week, on Sunday, Christmas Eve, the holiday special will be in effect. The holiday special has been in effect the last several years, but we will have the holiday special. I will be at the homestead, the HQ. We may get some cameo appearances from Carlos Sr. and other luminaries. And that'll also be a shorter episode, but it'll be the Christmas Eve episode. And then the following week, so I'm giving you some of these programming notes ahead of time. The following week, 
for New Year's. It will be the New Year's Eve episode, which will also start at a slightly different time. I will announce that later on. But that one will just be the Sunday episode. So there'll be two live streams this week. So bonus live stream and a Christmas Eve live stream. And then for New Year's, it will just be the New Year's Eve live stream. There will be no Friday live stream that week. Letting you all know in advance. So that's as we kind of wind down the uh, the calendar of content this uh, this year on the channel. Even though it's the 18th when we're recording this and the 19th when this drops, we're rapidly approaching the end of the year. So now it's on the, the final episodes. I already did the goals episode, so this is going to be my segue here into the last piece that I'm going to talk about. I already did my goals video for the year, talking about previous year's goals, how I did with that, and then the next year's goals and what I intend to do with that. But an offshoot of that is the idea of the resolution. And while New Year's resolutions aren't necessarily my thing, my curiosity is, does anyone have any hobby resolutions for the new year? Anything they want to change or maybe something that they were trying to do that they weren't able to accomplish? It's not a goal necessarily. What I'm saying is, is there anything in your method or anything in what you're tar the way you're approaching it that you're thinking of changing for the new year, something different than what you were doing before? So I'll start off by giving an example. I do my goals thing every year. I like doing it because it gives me some targets, but I also have always given myself a lot of room to freestyle. Because sometimes I'll come across certain projects and things that I like to do, but it takes your eyes off the ball a little bit. One of the things that happened with the goals is that I've got a couple of my sets that I'm working on, and a number of them got pretty close, but I didn't finish because the concentration wasn't there. I was working on some of these other little side projects along the way. So my resolution for this year is going to be to kind of min minimize the side projects a little bit. I really want to make sure I hammer through a couple of those goals a little bit more directly. I want to work on some of those sets that I'm working on. I'd like to be marking off some of those checklists directly off. I got close this past year, but I want to finish them. Where I have a goal in place, I want to finish it, get to that point, so that way I can reset for 2025 and move on from that. My player collections and all that, a lot of it's the same. For the Medano collection, it's very straightforward. The goals works really well with those, generally speaking. I don't do any goals for the other player collections, but I spent a lot of time with those other player collections this past year. And while I still intend to do that, I want to scale that back a little bit, put a little bit more of the focus on the sets, because we only have so many hobby dollars to go around. So that's one of those things. If we're taking our hobby dollars, you shift it from one bucket into another, it's still the same amount in the end. So you just got to figure out how you're allocating. That's basically my intention, my resolution for this next hobby year, so to speak. Does anyone want to take a stab at, uh, now that you kind of know what I'm referring to here on this one? You can go with a goal as well if you want, but it's a goal or resolution, whatever you prefer. I, I'm going to try to be a little more focused um, now that my daughter's in college and we're paying the majority of that um the the the, the monetary freedom i've had to kind of had different projects going on at the same time and doing you know throwing money over here throwing money over there i think that needs to be you know, refocused a little bit um i don't think i need to stop hobbying i think i just need to really weigh things a little bit more um and not be so quick to 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 buy something uh or to press buy it now on ebay even though if you know because i can convince myself well it's only three dollars well you you do you you know you do um you know you buy nine of those in a day you know it adds that's out adding up right you know with the shipping and everything else so then you're like yeah you know it's not gonna sit on my desk it's gonna go right into a binder and back in the closet well maybe that's you know and we've talked about that in the past so mm -hmm. I think I'm going to be more focused. Um, I, I've already started, so it's not something that I'm waiting for the first um, mm -hmm. to do. Uh, I've already started and, um, you know, I'm 
I like I like the discipline that it takes, and I, I'm appreciating when I get things a little bit more. So I'm going to mm-hmm. try to continue on that trend. Good. Now, Brandon, uh, so on a scale of one to yes, um, Jason Robertson degeneracy? Yes, with seven S's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, I wanted to make sure we clarified. I just wanted to make sure we clarified so we were all on the same page. Go on. So I actually, I have a, a hope that I can accomplish, um, whether you want to call that a goal or a resolution or whatever. Um, it would probably surprise folks. I haven't done a lot of content, hardly any content at all outside of reveals and previews on the YouTube channel. And part of that is I stepped back. I've talked about trying to enjoy after the hustle and bustle of the few years of chaos and sports cards and everything. And to be honest, a lot of even the topic tonight has kind of it causes a a sense of burnout, a a sense of. I don't know, it it kind of burns that that flame of the hobby out a little bit, but I've refocused to to what I want to kind of do moving forward or actually get back to what I was doing. And so. It would shock people, but I actually, for the entire year, I only have 15 total eBay purchases. Only eight of those eBay purchases have been cards. Mm -hmm. So I did very well this year on not letting myself just buy, 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 and kind of step back. But one thing I do want to do Cause I have so much, like y'all can see it kind of behind me, but there's stuff under here. There's stuff in that closet back there. I have all those cards I've talked about on the other side of that wall. I actually would like to liquidate a lot of the unorganized mess that I have obtained. The stuff I have no interest in keeping. The stuff that was obtained through the hustle and bustle of the several years of things just going wild and it hits you and you you don't even realize it till it's too late of how much you've accumulated. So I want to downsize or liquidate and get back into, I don't, don't want to just have eight purchases. This kind of opposite of Eric. I don't want to minimize my purchases. I want to get back into buying things that I enjoy, but in doing so, I want to get rid of all of the unnecessary clutter that's sitting around. Now, how I go about that option, that is the question mark. I literally can't sit here and list all of those cards. Um, I don't want to just throw them away. Facebook Marketplace is flooded all the time with card collections. That's probably a, a nightmare way I've thought about reaching out to maybe Chris Sewell. And since I think he's back over here in the States now, he, I believe he's in Maryland, so not too far away. And maybe okay. shooting him a message of saying, hey, you know, I'm not looking to make a fortune off of this. Uh, I know you could probably process it through quicker than I could. Um, and just kind of give him a rundown of what I got. Maybe that's an option. I don't know. Um, but that's kind of something I want to do is get rope back in 
I get jealous of Eric's little little setup back there. It's organized. He gets to enjoy everything. Me, I just got like a card explosion behind me, and it, it gets overwhelming, honestly. Yeah, so. just don't ask about the random crumble box that that lives in that room. But at least he knows where it is. You, if you ask me, <laughs> he does I, know where I it might is. That have is one in here. Yeah, <laughs> make it no, make it so. Eric. But... Now's the moment. Now's the time. <laughs> for the people knows on the... exactly where it is that that's the thing like you can ask yeah, but he about know what's inside that box. he doesn't know what's inside that box or what lives in it and he would rather not know he, he chooses to live in ignorance but you could ask oh, him about a player thing. and i guarantee you he could go in one of those boxes and pull it out and, and it wouldn't that take true. him that long there there is an organization so... there is a method to his madness in that room yes yeah that I... that is my biggest hope the new year is to downsize the chaos and be more organized. I think that seems uh I think that's a very fair one. And I would open it up to anybody who does check this out on replay. If you want to put something in the comments section, you're in the YouTube version, you've got the comment section. Is there anything you're looking to do to target? Obviously, I'm looking to stay a little bit closer to the goals, a little bit tighter with them. The goals themselves offer some good good guidelines just give me something to stick to and focus on i still always give myself a little bit of latitude that way i don't get too bored but uh it's one of those things where if i stay a little closer to that line that'll help keep things a little bit more focused and allow me to really narrow things down and i can almost guarantee that throughout the course of this year i will be streamlining a couple of those collections to focus on the the key pieces that i want to hang on to we, we, we talked about the one Juan soto thing well it's consolidation time in soto land it's one of those things where I've got a couple of very nice ones that I do enjoy. Some are definite keepers, but other ones I think can go uh, as I try to put some pieces together and maybe pick up a couple of ones here and there. Like I said, some went out. I also purchased some. So it's one of those things where we're not liquidating all wholesale, but we want quality, less quantity. We're, we're looking to shrink uh, the listings a little bit. And I think that's kind of a, one of a variety of different like sub goals inside of that. And that's kind of a way of approaching it. But no, that's very good. I think that's uh, some definitely some stuff, uh, food for thought and things for people to think about. And hopefully, uh, those of you who are listening, who are collectors yourselves, uh, figure out whatever that is for you. You don't have to be that formal to the point of trying to make up a list of goals. That really isn't necessary for everybody. I find it's helpful for me, just a way of keeping track of how well I did throughout the year. It gives me some target to shoot for. Uh, and then you can figure out after, if you missed it, why'd you miss it? Or if it, maybe it was too easy. And then you can kind of calibrate your, your goals and things like that accordingly. Sounds good. So uh, with that, uh, that'll be the last episode here. Uh, enjoy your holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, whatever happens to be that case, uh, because the next episode will be uh, one day, will be on Boxing Day, one day after Christmas will be uh, when the next episode drops. And then the one after that will be the second day of the year in 2024. It arrives, it approaches. We're nearing the end, my friends. This is it. 2023 is nearly in our rearview mirror, and this is the end of that. So hopefully those of you enjoy your holidays, now that the holiday season's in full effect. Uh, Christmas music, if you're a horrible person with a terrible music <laughs> taste. Just terrible music taste. But you can leave any thoughts like that in the comment section. We do appreciate it. Like if you like the video. More videos coming up on the channel. Live streams on Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Except for the programming preamps that I gave you. Although next week, this week will be 8 p.m. Eastern Time. But then the next one will adjust, and then we'll get back on the cycle in 2024. So got to be the longest-running episodic, whatever that is. The only way to do that is to keep being episodic and to keep it running. So that's how, that's how we roll here. So for this episode, episode 52 of the BIC podcast, which was 5% more mature than the normal. For Brandon, yeah, we bobbles and ball normal. cards. And 
they, listen, we nailed it this time. We we hit, we nailed it. We promised it and we got it. So for Brandon, bobbles and ball cards and 540 flips. For Eric Sanderson Door on the Instagrams, where you can praise him and give him credit and congratulate him on his future Hal Gill accomplishments. As you should. Hal F and Gill. That's right. We'll be back on the next one. Have a good one.